good to see you today. We are in the 14th week today of our Book of Acts series. And so if you turn in your Bibles to the Book of Acts chapter 14, I'm going to break from uh, convention this morning. Instead of reading the whole chapter, uh, I'm just going to read uh, the portion that we're going to cover today. Uh, but it would be good for you uh, throughout the week. You know what would be good is for you to just uh, uh, catch up. Go back and read Acts 1 through 14 in preparation for next Sunday. Uh, if you can, I mean, it's optional, but uh, it's good to kind of stay on track. Uh, now, I want to say to you that there's a reason why we're studying the book of Acts for the first five months of this year. This is, if you know me, you know that I don't really like preaching series. <laughs> and the reason I don't like preaching series is because the kind of preacher I am is very extemporaneous in terms of, I like to sense what the Holy Spirit is doing right now, what the Holy Spirit is saying right now. And when I lock myself into a series, I always feel like I'm restricting myself from actually discerning what the Holy Spirit is saying right now and what the Holy Spirit is doing and what the Holy Spirit is dealing with right now. But I felt led of the Lord to preach this series on the book of Acts for the first five months of this year because we are anticipating that what God did in the early church, He's going to do in the latter church. Amen that what God did in the church of the first century, he's going to do in the church of the last century. You see, when we go back and look at the church of the first century, we see the paradigm of what we are supposed to be as a church. And it's my convention that by and large, contemporary Christianity has lost its identity. It has lost its nature and its very essence. We've lost the understanding of what we're supposed to be doing, and we've begun to shape the church after our own image and our own likeness. We start to shape the church after our own values and after our own desires. And oftentimes we hear people say things like, the church should be doing this, the church should be doing that. Whenever I hear somebody say, the church should be doing this or the church should be doing that, I always ask the question, can you find me that in the book of Acts? Can you show me in the book of Acts that the church did that? Because if we can't find it in the book of Acts, it's not a part of the paradigm of what it is that we are supposed to be and what it is that we are supposed to do as the body of Christ. But the primary reason why we're studying the book of Acts this year is because of our theme for the year, and our theme is spirit of life. And our anticipation this year is that God is going to pour out his spirit upon us in a unique way that God has a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit for us. When we're talking about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we're talking about a unique level of accessibility to two things. Number one, the presence of God. When the Holy Spirit is poured out, God becomes present. I mean, God is always present, but God becomes excessively present. So excessively present that you feel like you could reach out and touch him. So excessively present, if you've ever gone through a revival season in your life, it's a season in which God became so present that at times he, became, he felt more real to you than the other people in your life that you were talking to. And so an outpouring of the Holy Spirit brings the accessibility of God. Wouldn't it be awesome if God was that accessible? Like, wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't it be? See, I, I want you to hunger for that and to thirst for that nearness of God, that sense of his nearness, that you wake up in the morning, like the psalmist said, when I awake, I'm still with you. Like he says, I fall asleep in your presence. I wake up in your presence. I wake up experiencing your presence, feeling your nearness, feeling your closeness. And the second thing that an outpouring of the Holy Spirit brings about is, is an, a unique accessibility to the power of God. And the power of God and the presence of God are two different things. The presence of God is when God draws near and you become aware that he is near you. 
The power of God is when God works to change situations and circumstances. The power of God is his ability to change situations and circumstances. And so when there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, these two things happen. Number one, God draws near and you become far more aware of his presence than you ever have before. The second thing that happens is that God begins to show up and show out. God begins to change stuff that you never thought would change. God begins to break stuff that you never thought would break. When, when an outpouring of the Holy Spirit comes, addictions break off of people's lives in a moment. When an outpouring of the Holy Spirit comes, depression and anxiety break off of people's lives in a moment. When an outpouring of the Holy Spirit comes, we see sicknesses healed. We see diseases healed. We see conditions healed. We see the power of God working to do marvelous things on our behalf. And by and large, especially in the United States of America, the Western church has become so accustomed to our own brand of Christianity, the brand of Christianity that is based in a set of religious beliefs and a set of morals and, and uh, a set of morals and standards that we live by. It's simply about ethics and it's about doctrine. And, that, and then there's certain practices like coming to church and you, know, you lift your hands during the, the chorus and you put your hands down during the verse and you, you sit up for a few songs and you sit down. You know what I mean? It just becomes this big religious set of observances, things that we do uh, religiously, things that we do because it's part of our religion, but we've lost the sense of the nearness of God, and we've lost the outpouring of the power of God, and that's what we want to recover, and that's what we believe that God is calling the church in America to recover, not just Living Hope Christian Center, but the church. He's calling the bride of Christ to recover, and this is why, you know, a, a lot of times, I, I um, one of the things I struggle with is that I preach mostly to the church. And so if you notice, if you're here and you're not yet a believer in Jesus Christ and you're just kind of a visitor and you're coming to check it out, you know, I apologize to you. I, I don't talk to you a whole lot. I talk to the church primarily. And the reason I don't talk to you yet who don't yet believe in Jesus, I don't spend a lot, I, and I need, I need to do better talking to you. I, I want to acknowledge that. I, I need to learn how to talk to you a little better because I, I recognize that all kinds of people come to the house of God. But the key for me is that if the church doesn't wake up and become who God has called us to be, the world doesn't have a chance of knowing that Jesus is real. Sometimes the only proof that Jesus is real is somebody on the outside of the church seeing a major change in the life of somebody on the inside of the church. If somebody could say to you, you know how I know God is real? How? Because I've been watching you. Now that is the proof of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When someone, listen, I can't prove to you that Jesus rose from the dead. But when something dead in your life rises from the dead, now that becomes proof of the resurrection because you then become a living dramatization of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, in today's passage of Scripture, there's something very important that God wants to speak to us about. The key to accessing both the presence and power of God is something that we call faith. And so often, God's presence can come, but because we don't have the faith to receive it, we don't experience His presence. And so often, God's power can come, but because we don't have the faith to receive it, we can't experience God's power. God is closer than you could ever imagine. Oftentimes, we think we are waiting for God to do something on our behalf. Instead, God is waiting for us to believe. He's waiting for us to have the faith to receive what he desires, and it stands ready to do on our behalf. Now, a little bit of background before I read this text. 
the Apostle Paul, uh, everything changed in a prayer meeting in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. And we talked about that last Sunday when we looked at Acts chapter 13. I was at Soda last week. My wife was here. I don't know what she talked about, but I know that I talked about that prayer meeting in Acts chapter 13. That prayer meeting, there was really two prayer meetings that changed the world in the book of Acts. The first is in Acts chapter 2, 1 and 2, the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came in that prayer meeting, and the early church was born. The second is in Acts chapter 13. There's prophets and teachers gathered in Antioch, and they pray, they fast, they seek the face of God. And in that prayer meeting, the Holy Spirit spoke and said, Separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for the work to which I've called them. They take Paul and Barnabas aside, they lay hands on them, and there's an extended time of prayer. It says, after they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, it means that that prayer meeting lasted for several days, at the very least, and there was no food. You can't get folks to come to church for more than two hours unless you provide food. <laughs> but they stayed for days, and they sought the face of God, and they prayed, they fasted, and they laid their hands on Paul and Barnabas, and then it says they sent them off at the end of the prayer meeting. Imagine showing up for the prayer meeting, and by the time the prayer meeting ends, you're a missionary. <laughs> like, you didn't intend to be no missionary. <laughs> but by the time the prayer meeting ended, you got ordained, and you're not only a missionary, and not only did you get ordained, you're getting sent off on the mission field at the end of that. that I mean, imagine showing up for 21 days of prayer tomorrow night, and by the time the prayer meeting ends, we're sending you off to Africa. <laughs> That night, like right, now I shouldn't have said that, now y'all ain't coming. I, <laughs> if there's even a chance, I ain't going to that prayer meeting. <laughs> We're not going to do that, I promise you, and, unless the Holy Spirit says to do it, but no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Paul and Barnabas are sent off, which indicates that the Holy Spirit not only told them what he had called them to do, but how he had called them to do it, where he had called them to do it, and when. That's why they prayed for so long. Separate Paul and Barnabas. Okay, let's pull them aside. Now, God, what have you called them to do? Let's pray. Okay, now God gave the answer. You guys are going to be the first missionaries, and you're going to travel all over the Greco-Roman world with the gospel. Okay, when do we go? You're going to go as soon as this prayer meeting ends. Okay, where do we go first? You're going to head down to Seleucia. You're going to set sail for Solomon, and from Solomon, you're going to go to the island of Patmos, and at Patmos, uh, from there, you're gonna, I'll show you where to go next. And so God gave directions and marching orders. And then, you know, obviously in that, they had to take an offering right there to fund their trip. Yeah. You know, like the Holy Spirit spoke it corporately, and corporately they had to, they had to provide for that. Yeah. And so they had to raise the finances. At the end of that prayer meeting, they take them down, they put them on a boat, and they send them off, and their missionary journeys begin. Now, Paul had a strategy. His strategy was this. Every city we go into, we're going to go into the synagogue. The synagogue was the Greek-speaking place of Jewish worship, meaning the Jews had been scattered all across the Greco-Roman world at the time in the dispersion that went all the way back to 722 B.C., and there were several different, um, several different components, stages of the dispersion. So they had been scattered all across the Greco-Roman world. In any city in the Greco-Roman world, if there were at least 10 Jewish men, they could have a synagogue. And they would gather, they would build the synagogue, and they would worship there, and they would read from the law in the morning, the Torah, the prophets in the evening. And anyone coming into the synagogue, any man, any Jewish male, could stand up and basically preach. You could stand up and you can go to the front, and if you went to the front, it meant you had something to say. And what you would do is ask for one of the scrolls and have somebody read a passage. Open it up to Isaiah 61 and read that. And then the man would stand up, open the scroll, read it, and then once he was done, that was the text. Now you would give your exhortation to the people and you would preach. Now Paul, his 
strategy was to go to the synagogue. As soon as he arrived in the city, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath, which was their big day of worship, Saturday. And he would stand up in the synagogue, call for the scroll, that somebody would read from one of the prophets, and then he would start preaching. And at first it sounded like he was preaching just a typical Jewish message. But after a while, all of a sudden there would be a twist, and now he would start preaching Jesus. And he would say, Jesus was the fulfillment of all of the law and the prophets. And by the way, he died on the cross for your sins. He arose again from the dead on the third day. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right. Good Lord, Benjamin Lee is wearing a suit. Good to see you, my brother. <laughs> Looks like you thought you were preaching today. I'm sorry. I, nobody told me. <laughs> anyway. So Paul, <laughs> Paul would preach Jesus crucified, resurrected, ascended to the right hand of God, and there's no other name in heaven or on earth but by which we must be saved but by the name of Jesus. Now, in every synagogue, there were three types of people, and we've talked about this. There were Jews, and then there were proselytes, which were Gentiles, non-Jews, who converted to Judaism through the, through the covenant of circumcision. So if you got circumcised, you were a full-on Jew. You were no longer a Gentile. You were now grafted in. You were a proselyte. You became a Jew through circumcision. Then there were God-fearers who were Gentiles that didn't want to get circumcised. They were Gentiles who believed in the God of Israel and knew he was God. They even brought tithes and offerings. And they might even have served a ministry in the church. But they weren't all the way in. They were God-fearers. Paul would come in and preach... And at the end of his sermon, he'd say, by the way, salvation is not through circumcision. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. And the God-fearers be like, you mean I don't have to get circumcised? Nope. We're with him. <laughs> but in every synagogue he went to, it wasn't just the God-fearers who believed him, but a number of the Jews and proselytes would believe him as well. So we see this here in Acts chapter 14. I'm going to start at verse 1 real quick. Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude both of the Jews and of the Greeks believed. You see that? A great multitude both of the Jews and of the Greeks believed. That's how powerful their message was. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done through their hands." This is what set the preaching of Paul and Barnabas apart. They would stand up and preach their message. And then they'd say, you over there, you, is this, this woman blind? They'd say, yes, yeah, she's blind. Eyes be opened in Jesus' name. And her eyes would open and she would see. And then the guys would get up to refute them and say, well, you're wrong. And the people would say, but he just made a blind person see. <laughs> so if he's wrong, can you make a blind person see and so what would happen is the individuals who opposed them could not refute the miracles and signs and wonders that they were working. Now, they're preaching in a very contentious atmosphere. I mean, if you could imagine how difficult this must have been, imagine, imagine going up to the Mormon temple and going to the front of the room and reading from the Book of Mormon and starting to preach a sermon that sounds like a Mormon sermon and then halfway through, you flip the script on it and say, by the way, that's why everything you believed is wrong. Here's the truth. And half the church rises up and goes, we're with you. 
We knew something was wrong with this. And then the other side rises up and says, heck, who, who do you think you are? Get out of here, coming in here, tearing up our... And it's, now, can you imagine how much conflict there was? How much tension there was in that atmosphere? If it were me, see, I don't like conflict. I would want to just get in and out. Like, I'm out. I do this once. But it says, so they stayed there a long time. <laughs> Preaching boldly. They didn't leave. They weren't afraid of the conflict. One of the reasons why we don't win more people to Jesus is because we're so afraid of the conflict. We're so afraid of the controversy. Paul's strategy was to go in there and stir up controversy. Now, let me say that there's a right kind of controversy and there's a wrong kind of controversy. And so much of the controversy that I see that Christians stir up, I believe is the wrong kind of controversy. And, and the sign of that is that God don't work with us. They stirred up the right kind of controversy, and God worked with them by working signs and wonders. If God ain't moving with you, you're stirring up the wrong kind of controversy. Okay, let's move on. That's not what the sermon's about. i got to get to it because I'm trying to turn over a new leaf and preach in like 40 minutes instead of an hour and 20 minutes. So, so pray my strength in the Lord. I'm, I'm getting there, Kevin. I'm getting there. <laughs> All right. They stayed there a long time preaching boldly. Speaking boldly, right? But the multitude of the city was divided, verse 4, part sided with the Jews, part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and the surrounding region, and they were preaching the gospel there. Now watch this. Now we're coming to the passage I want to focus on, verse 8. They get to this city called Lystra, they're in the synagogue. Paul, I, I would always imagine Paul just going and preaching to crowds of people outside. But actually, he would go into the synagogues and he would preach. So this either happened in a synagogue, near a synagogue. There had to be... Now, when we see how this works out, there had to be a bunch of like non-believing Gentiles. They were neither proselytes or God-fearers. Because what happens at the end of this passage is astounding. But watch this, verse 8. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking, Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had the faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. First of all, it says that this man heard Paul speaking. And then Paul intently observed the man. So there's this mutual locking in on one another that's happening between Paul and this man. This man is locked in on Paul, and it says he heard Paul speaking. Now in Mark chapter 8, verse 18, Jesus says to his disciples, you have ears, but you don't hear. You have eyes, but you don't see. What Jesus is saying to his disciples is, I've been sitting here talking to you for the last three years, but you still don't hear me. I mean, you, you hear my, my language, but you're not hearing my words. It's not registering yet, and I could tell by the kind of dumb question you just asked me. The disciples, he told them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, and they looked at one another and said, he said that because we forgot to bring the bread. <laughs> And Jesus said, y'all got ears, but you don't hear. I, that sounds like stuff my daddy used to say when I was little, <laughs> you know. You got ears, but you don't 
hear. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It does not say faith comes by hearing the word of God. It says faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God. Meaning, if you want faith, you need hearing. If you want hearing, you need the word of God. First of all, you open your heart to receive the word of God even if you don't understand it. That's the key. In our culture, there is this preoccupation with understanding. It is a sign of the fact that we still have not relinquished the right to control our own lives. We say that we trust God, but yet we have not surrendered our lives to Him. Trust is the kind of trust the Bible talks about is the fruit of surrender. If you have not surrendered your life to God, you have not trusted Him. And if you have surrendered your life to him and trusted him, then that means that your understanding is irrelevant. It means you don't need to understand in order to obey. I just need to receive the word of God. I don't need to understand the word of God. I just need to receive it. When I was a kid and they gave me my first Bible, it was a King James Version. And I was like nine. Reading from the King James Version didn't understand nothing. But you know what I did? I started memorizing verses out of the King James Version. I guess I was too young for it to bother me that I didn't understand what I was reading. Shoot, I didn't understand the regular stuff they were giving me in school to read. My comprehension hadn't caught up yet. But I was reading the King James Version, uh, love vaunteth not itself. What does vaunteth mean? <laughs> You know, I was reading all this stuff, you know, and I, and, and, and I was looking at the King James Version, but you know what I started to do is hide it in my heart. It didn't have anything to do with understanding. It had to do with receiving the word of God. They said, this is the word of God. This is the word of God. Then I receive it. And I started reading it and I started memorizing it and I started hiding it in my heart. And all these years later, now understanding has been added to my faith. You see, a believer is not the same thing as an understander. You want to be an understander. God wants you to be a believer. According to faith in Christ, belief comes first. Understanding comes second. And if you believe, understanding will come. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, which means that if you receive the word of God, you've got to put yourself in a situation, in a context in which hearing becomes possible. You see, so often we've been asking God, Lord, open my ears and let me hear, but you don't spend no time in the Bible. You're not in a context in which something could happen. I remember when I was in high school and I, I, bought, I bought a Raider parka. You remember that, Jamil? Jamil, was, he and I were in high school together. You remember that Raiders parka I bought? And... Uh, my mom was, no, I'm sorry, it was a White Sox parka, a big black one. I wanted a Raiders parka, but my mom wouldn't let me get it. And I went to school with this White Sox parka on, and somebody said, I didn't know you liked the White Sox. I said, I don't, but the coat looks tight. <laughs> and I said, as closest to a Raiders jacket as I could get. And they said, well, why didn't you get a Raiders jacket? And I said, because my mom's afraid that somebody's going to shoot me or beat me and take my coat. And this person I said this to was a real thug. And he said, uh, he laughed. He said, Benjamin, ain't nobody going to take your coat. And I said, how do you know? He said, because you don't go nowhere. <laughs> you don't go to the club. You don't go to the mall. You're not out after the streetlights come on. 
You don't go nowhere. You go to school and you go home. How's somebody going to take your coat when your daddy drives you home from school every day? <laughs> he said, you got to be somewhere for something to happen. What he was saying is, I don't live in the right context for that to happen to me. He said, Benjamin, you could wear all the Raiders gear you want and you'll be fine. You know, you've got to be somewhere for something to happen. You want God to speak to you. You've got to be in the right context. You don't go nowhere. You talk to some people, I'm afraid of what God's, you ain't got to be afraid. God ain't going to say nothing to you. How do you know? Because you don't go nowhere. You don't go to church. <laughs> you don't even turn on Christian radio. You don't listen to no worship music. You don't crack your Bible. You're not in any context in which God can speak to you. You've got to go, so you got to be somewhere for something to happen to you. Amen. And so faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the Word of God. You start receiving the Word of God, all of a sudden God gives you the gift of hearing, which means all of a sudden you start to hear it. You see, that's why I meditate on Scripture, because I don't hear it until I meditate on it for long enough, until the Holy Spirit makes it alive in my hearing. And then all of a sudden, I begin to hear it with spiritual ears and not just natural ears, and all of a sudden it comes alive to me. And then out of that hearing comes faith. Paul is preaching. The man is hearing. He's not just listening. He's hearing. I used to say all the time, are you hearing me today? And everybody would say, yes. And I, I would think to myself, half of y'all are lying. <laughs> you're listening, but you're not hearing nothing. But that's not y'all. All of y'all are hearing. <laughs> the man is hearing. That is, in this moment, God is giving this man the gift of faith. And as God is giving him the gift of faith, he's hearing. He's not just hearing the words of Paul, he's hearing the words of God. God is speaking directly to this man and he's hearing. And the man is not aware of what's going on on the inside of him, but what's going on on the inside of him is faith. And faith is a unique ability to lay hold of God's presence and God's power. When God gives you a gift of faith, all of a sudden you have the ability to lay hold of God's presence and God's power. You see, without faith, God could come stand right in the room and speak to you personally, and you wouldn't hear it because you don't have the faith to receive it. Without faith, Jesus himself could come lay his hands on you and say, be healed, and you'd go home just as sick as you came in because without faith, you can't even receive the healing power of Jesus. You remember the woman with the issue of blood? She looked out of her window for 18 years. She had suffered many things from many physicians. This woman had been on her period for 18 years, which means that she was unclean for 18 years according to the law of Israel. And she was, which means she was locked in her apartment, locked in her house day and night. She couldn't go out if she touched anybody. They were unclean. <laughs> but she looks out and sees Jesus. And she thinks to herself, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. Why did she think that to herself? Where did she get that from? If I could just touch the hem of his garment. All of a sudden, she heard a passage of scripture that she had memorized many times before. It's out of Malachi chapter 4 that says, The Son of, unto you who fear my name, the Son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. And she sees Jesus, and the Holy Spirit quickens that verse. There's healing in his wings, and she sees his robes flowing and says, If I just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. 
All of a sudden, she heard. And she leaves her apartment, and she presses through the crowd. And she reaches out and touches the hem of his garment, and instantly, she's completely healed. And Jesus, watch this, he feels power come out of him. And he turns around and stops and says, who touched me? And the disciples go, Lord, you tripping, everybody touching you. You don't see this crowd of people, everybody's thronging you. And he says, no, 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 somebody touched me in faith. A lot of people touch Jesus, but only a few touch him in faith. Your proximity to Jesus will not save you, only your faith. Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to a Mexican restaurant makes you a Mexican. You can eat all the Korean food that you want. You still black. (laughs) Jesus said, I felt power come out of me. And the woman comes and falls before him and confesses everything. And what does Jesus say to her? He says, go in peace. Listen to this. Your faith has healed you. Notice he does not say, my power has healed you. Even though it was his power. But he says, how did you access my power? How did you lay hold of my power? Your faith has healed you. You see, we talk a lot about powerful men of God. I want to be a powerful man of God. Powerful women of God. I want to be a powerful woman of God. I want to be a man of God that can lay hands on the sick and heal them. I want to be a man. But how about a powerful believer? Jesus said, you're a powerful believer. He said to this woman, it's not just that I'm a powerful savior. You're a powerful believer. Your faith has healed you. See, you've been praying the wrong prayer. You've been praying, Lord, heal me. What you should be praying is, Lord, give me the faith to be healed. You've been praying, Lord, set me free. You should be praying, Lord, give me the faith to be free. You're praying, Lord, bless me financially. You should be praying, Lord, give me the faith to be blessed. You're praying, Lord, save my marriage. You should be praying, Lord, give me and my spouse the faith for our marriage to be saved. You see, it's always a faith problem. It's not a God problem. You think you're waiting for God to move. God is waiting for you to believe. God is far more willing and ready to move than you and I are to receive his move. He's far more ready to heal than we are to be healed. He's far more ready to save. He's far more ready to break through. He's far more ready to deliver than we are to be delivered. We're praying the wrong prayers. We should be praying, Lord, grant me the faith to believe you. Grant me the faith to move when you move. Grant me the faith to speak when you speak. Grant me the faith to believe. We've got a faith problem as a culture. That's our problem. It's not, and people ask all the time, how come God moves in Indonesia and he doesn't move that way in America? As if God is like drawing a map in heaven going, I'm going to move right here, right here, right here. This area right here, I'm just going to kind of leave them alone. It's because we don't believe If your child is sick, you keep them home from the the prayer meeting. In Indonesia, if their child is sick, that's all the more reason to bring them to the prayer meeting. You stay home from church because you're sick. In Indonesia, you go to church because you're sick. 
In Indonesia, in, you go to certain parts of the world, the, when you, whenever you need a breakthrough, the first thing you think is, I better get to the house of God and get somebody to lay hands on me. Because, and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's wrong to stay home when you're sick. It's okay to stay home when you're sick. Don't be bringing all that, you know. <laughs> we'll come to your house and pray for you. How's that? <laughs> we'll send somebody. Jason will come pray. <laughs> the point I'm making is that the level of expectation is different. Faith is the God-given ability to lay hold of God-given resources. The God-given resources are always available to us. But the God-given ability to receive those resources is a, ne is a necessary prerequisite for accessing them and utilizing them for our life. He has already blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Already. The only thing that we lack is faith. Now, here's what's crazy, and I'm going to end with this. In two minutes, I need somebody to come play, play the keyboard. Y'all not going to believe how quickly I'm going to get you out of here. Here's what's crazy. Paul was not preaching on healing. He wasn't preaching on miracles. He wasn't preaching a sermon on the God of miracles. He was preaching Jesus as Lord. That's all he was preaching. And the, secondly, the man was not believing for his healing. He wasn't sitting there believing for a miracle. He was believing in Jesus as Lord. Wow. You see, we tend to think that there's one kind of faith that saves you and another kind of faith that heals you. Can I tell you there's only one kind of faith? Yeah, that's right. The faith that saves you is enough to heal you, enough to deliver you, enough to set you free, enough to bless you, enough to increase you. You say, I don't have enough faith. That's a lie. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe he's the son of God? Then lay hold of the faith that you already have. God has already dealt you a measure of faith, and that faith is enough. Jesus said, if you got faith the size of the grain of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be lifted up and cast into the sea, and it'll obey you. You see, you just have no confidence in the power of your faith. The man was simply believing in Jesus as Lord. And what he did not realize a little softer, was that the ramification of believing that Jesus is Lord is that if he's Lord over heaven and earth, he's Lord over my sickness. If he's Lord over heaven and earth, he's Lord over my addiction. If he's Lord over heaven and earth, he's Lord over my brokenness. If he's Lord over heaven and earth, he's Lord over my finances. If he's Lord over heaven and earth, he's Lord over my marriage. What the man didn't realize is that the natural consequence of believing that Jesus Christ is Lord is that along with that comes the faith to believe him for everything else because he who, he who spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him grant us all things? Translation, if he was willing to die on the cross to save us, why wouldn't he be willing to heal us? I mean, if you can believe that, if you could believe that he could save you from eternal separation from God. If you believe that he could save you from eternal separation from God, then he could save you from anything else. The man wasn't trying to stir up faith for anything. 
He was simply focusing his mind and heart on the message that Paul was preaching, that Jesus is Lord. And at the end of the day, the only thing you need to believe is that Jesus is Lord. You see, the problem is, the problem with our faith is that we believe in less than lordship. Less than lordship. You haven't yet exalted him to the place of complete lordship. Because wherever you feel hopeless, you haven't made Jesus Lord of that place. Whatever thing you think is impossible, you haven't yet made Jesus Lord of that place. It was so sad. I talked to a friend of mine a couple of years ago, and his marriage was falling apart. And I told him, I said, I'm believing God for your marriage. And he said, at this point, it'll take a miracle. The crazy thing was, He's an evangelist. He travels all over the world, and he sees miracles, signs, and wonders everywhere he goes. I said, bro, you just told me you saw blind eyes open and deaf ears unstopped. If you, think, you don't think that God can heal your marriage if he can open blind eyes? At this point, it'll take a miracle? Good, because you, you, you serve the God of miracles. Good if it takes a miracle. Now you can exercise your faith, but the key is we're not believing Jesus to heal. We're believing Jesus is Lord. And if you believe Jesus is Lord, all of a sudden you unlock his power to heal, to deliver, and to restore in your own life. I got a simple message for you today. Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of heaven and he's Lord of earth. He's Lord of your situation and he's Lord of your circumstance. He's Lord of your struggle. He's Lord of the thing in your life that just refuses to change. At any place in your heart and mind that you've got the anticipation, this ain't going to change. Can't change this. This isn't going to break. Can't break this. There's no hope for this. There's no hope for that. There's no hope. There's no hope. There's no hope. He's Lord. He's Lord. He's Lord. If you would dare to believe him. If you would dare to believe, it's simple. It's simple. Exalting Jesus, that's all it is. Exalting Jesus. Lifting him up out of that little box you've got him locked up and letting, letting him be Lord and Lord of heaven and earth, high above all things. Every time you feel fear in reference to anything, it's simply because you've exalted that thing above Jesus. I go through that all the time. I feel it all the time. Somebody calls me and says, I need you to pray for me because of this. And immediately I feel this fear. It's overwhelming. It feels like that thing is bigger than Jesus. And I realize I've got a lordship problem. And the first prayer I pray is not, Lord, heal them. But, Lord, I exalt the name of Jesus above this thing. Somebody calls, pray for my cousin. She's got cancer. I exalt the name of Jesus over this cancer. And I pray that prayer until in my mind and heart, faith comes, and suddenly Jesus is exalted above that thing. I'm no longer under it. Now I'm above it with Jesus. You've been living under your stuff for too long. God wants, you to, God wants to give you the faith to be healed. But it comes not by focusing on your problem, but by focusing on your Lord. Jesus is Lord. You've been praying the wrong prayer. Today, you're going to start praying the right prayer. Instead of, Lord, fix my marriage, Lord, fix my faith. Instead of, Lord, fix my body, Lord, fix my faith. And here's the key. I'm this last thing, and then we're going to slay you all in the spirit. Faith happens in a moment. There are windows of faith. And when that window opens, you've got to utilize it.
When that window of faith opens for you, do not procrastinate. You lay hold of it immediately. Here's what I'm talking about. A lot of times I hear people say, and I've, I've done this a thousand times, all of a sudden I get this burst of motivation. You know what? I'm going to lose weight and get in shape. What's today? Thursday? I start Monday morning. Not realizing that that burst of motivation I got on Thursday afternoon was a window. And it's going to close in a matter of minutes. It's not going to stay open till Monday morning, I guarantee it. You cannot delay the change that your faith initiates. You see, when God opens up a window of faith for you, all of a sudden... It can, it can take many shapes and forms. A window of faith, all of a sudden you feel a motivation to pray and to seek the face of God. When that motivation comes, don't say, you know what, starting Monday morning. No, you start right now. That window's going to close. When that window opens, when that window opens, you take it. You go through it right then. In the meantime, the prayer you continue to pray is, Lord, give me the faith to believe. See, here's the thing. Oftentimes we try to do by our human emotion, by our human motivation, what should only be done, what could only be done by the power of God. All of us, we want to be more spiritual, we want to be more on fire for God, we want to be more full of the Holy Spirit, and we think in our minds, if I just prayed this many hours a day, if I just spent this much time in the Word, not realizing, where are you going to get the motivation to do that? And then you feel guilty because... Man, I told myself I was going to do this, but I didn't do it. Man, I really wanted to do this, but I didn't do it. No. You're leaning on your own understanding. That's the definition of religion, is seeking God according to your own motivation. Instead, the prayer is, God, put it within me to seek your face. Lord, increase my faith. Lord, fix the hole in my faith. Lord, increase my confidence, increase my hunger. Lord, make me aware of my desire to seek your face. And all of a sudden, a window of faith at a certain point will open for you. That's what happened to me in Indonesia. That window of faith opened and the Holy Spirit said, the kingdom of God is here. Had I moved on to the next person and thought, you know what, I'll come back to that kid later, the window would have closed and I would have missed that moment. There's a window you're not going to walk around with humongous faith 24-7, 365. God opens up windows of faith where all of a sudden you can believe God for a major change in your life. And when that window of faith opens up, this is why Paul looked intently at the man. He saw the Holy Spirit had opened up a window of faith. And Paul did not wait till he finished the sermon. He said, right there, stand up on your feet right now. Why does he say stand up? Because he knew if I wait, the man's faith, the window's going to close. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to give you faith to be healed right now. I believe for some of you in this room right now, a window of faith is opening for you right now. And the word of the Lord to you is stand up on your feet. Stand up right now. Don't wait. Don't wait for that window to close. You've been praying the wrong prayer. But now you're going to pray the right prayer. Fix my faith. Increase my faith. Increase my faith so I come to the house of God, not simply to go to church, but I come expecting to receive something from God. 
Lord, fix my faith so that I don't open up the Bible simply, not just simply expecting to read the Bible, but expecting to receive the word of the living God. Fix my faith so that when I get on my knees to pray, I'm not simply expecting to go through the motions of prayer. I'm expecting to meet face to face with the living God. Fix my faith so that when I pray, I expect an answer. Fix my faith, God. Fix the hole in my faith. Increase my faith. Give me the faith to believe. Give me the faith to believe. You begin to pray that prayer, the Lord will change your life. You begin to pray that prayer, the Lord will change your life. But at the end of the day, understand, it's faith in Jesus, not faith for miracles. Fix my faith. It's a lordship problem. Bow your heads and let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would fix the hole in my faith. Each and every one of us, fix the hole in our faith so that what we expect, what we anticipate is greater than what we have expected and what we have anticipated. If we truly believed that you were here, we would anticipate so much more than we do. So often we come to church and we anticipate that we're going to go to church and then we're going to leave instead of anticipating the inevitable supernatural intervention of God. God, I pray that we would come to the house of God expecting the inevitable supernatural intervention of God. But Lord, not only when we come to the house of God, but that each and every day when we pray, we expect to meet with you. When we study the Bible, we expect to hear from you. When we ask, we expect to receive an answer. But Lord, we can't muster up faith. We can't make it happen. By faith, we have been saved. By grace, we have been saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. God, faith comes from you. But Lord, you have dealt to each one of us a measure of faith. And God, I pray today, in the name of Jesus, that you would increase the measure of faith that you've given to each one of us. Increase it, increase it, increase it, increase it. Lord, there's some individuals in this room, not only that you want to heal, but that you have called to be healers. Individuals in this room that you've given gifts of healing, but just don't know it because we don't have faith to receive it. There's individuals in this room that you've given the gift of prophecy, but don't know it because we don't have the faith to receive it. There's individuals in this room that you have raised up to do mighty works, but we don't know it because we don't have the faith to receive it. But God, I pray that as we pray this prayer, God, fix my faith, increase my faith, increase my faith. Lord, I believe our lives will change. We thank you for it. And we give you glory for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Give God a shout of praise.